0: Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. It's time to get all your Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts,
1: Mark Newbold and Dave Tree. That's
0: not true. That's impossible. Star Wars Zone, London Film and Comic Con. Uh, we have some guests here to talk about Star Wars. We have Rusty Goff, we have Ron Hone, we have Pam Rose. So we thought Star Wars might be a decent topic to kick off with, but you've, I've just been told by you that you didn't even know you were doing this panel until about a minute ago. No, I didn't. Seemed so not to speech prepared or anything. <laughs> No, I know that. That's why we invited you. <laughs> so we've got half an hour to talk nonsense about Star Wars. Um, I'll start at the end. How long? Thirty minutes. Oh, don't worry. Well, twenty-five. All right. All right then. Yeah, I've got a bus to catch. A bus. <laughs> a question
2: each. whether we have gone in ten minutes?
0: <laughs> right, crazy question. When did your Star Wars journey begin? When did you first get involved? First heard about it? How did it come your, across your path? How did uh, Star Wars? Sorry, I'm in the wrong. Area. How, how did Star
2: Wars first come across your path? How did you first well, hear about it? It, it was um, an agency I have worked for. for they said, that "You want to go to Elstree Studios to do a film called Star Wars." I said, oh, that'd be good. That'd be good. So I went there to Star Wars, uh, and then they said, oh, by the way, you're going to Tunisia as well. Oh, that's nice. But you might have to take a bit of camera stuff with you. Why? Because you're going to go on a charter flight. Because they don't really like you filming in Tunisia. So you have to take bits of the film stuff with you. Uh, It's a -a clappable. So I went to Tunisia. Only for a week I came back. It was too hot for me. But anyway... I, they'd done what I wanted what, what they wanted me to do so I came back but then the rest of it it was in Elstree and I started off with playing a character called a Jawa which uh, people say to now well, I bet that was fun <laughs> I bet you had a fantastic costume well this is how the costume was they sat me down and they put two torchlight flashlight batteries, stuck with bulbs there, a wire over my head to a battery pack at the back, and they put painted them orange. Then they put a bit of black cloth on it, cut slits on, it, push them through, and tape the whole cloth around my head with an electrical tape, black tape,. Electric. And then they put this sack on me. Which uh, potato sack, which had been still got the potatoes in, and they said, There you are, that's your costume. Wow! And but it was new, no one knew how big it was going to be. Everybody would say, What the hell are we doing here? Why are we doing it? Only two people knew George Lucas and Gary Kurtz, they knew. It's good, George especially, it's going to be good. But we had fun, fun yeah, doing the canteen a bit, it was good. I nearly killed Sir Alec Guinness in the first shot. Good. George uh, told me, when Sir Alec comes in the steps in the canteen, I want you to run up to his right hand side and walk, run out. I said, OK, George, fine. Then the first assistant director, Mr. Way, said to me, Oh, by the way, uh, when Sir Alec comes in, you walk around Sir Alec's left-hand side and rush out. Okay. So, as we know, we take the last direction. I don't know. I told Sir Alex, I went up, he came (laughs) in. Bloody fool. (laughs) But he apologised afterwards. Young man, I'm so sorry for my language but it wasn't your fault. It's a stupid, bloody directors. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Sorry. But anyway, I nearly killed him and he fell downstairs. But, but it was unbelievable. Uh, in Star Wars, I played three characters. the Jawa, uh, a gonk droid. <laughs> and that was fun. Which they invented. On the week we were going to do it. I walked around the set studio one day, and they said, bend over. So I said, and they put this polystyrene water cistern over me. Just like that. And they called, called George Lucas in and said, Look at that. He said, hey, I like that. So it wasn't given a name there, Because his children, his daughters some, they named the droids. They named them. Uh, so it wasn't given a name. So what they did there, they put corrugated... Uh, 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 from piping from air conditioning around my legs cardboard tubes sprayed, it's like Blue Peter they're walking around the car park picking up bits of plastic oh, oh, sticking it on, spraying it and that was the gong droid and then the last character was the ca- in the canteen the cabay. this character was played originally by an 84 year old lady called Gilda Cohen. Now, in the cantina, see the top of this? That's about what the roof was like. It was about... Not too big. And we were using you no know, video. We're using the real film. So you have to have a lot of light. So, a 16,000 kilowatt of light on you. Heat, hot, smoke, <laughs> health and safety, well of a field day it was unbelievable and the mask what Gilda was wearing which I wore eventually no you can breathe so what happened to an 85 year old lady collapsed now they had already done the master shot the big long shot so they had to take her out a big hole left in there and you didn't have computers CGI then you had to fill that hole so the lovely words of George Lucas, Rusty, get in the dress. <laughs> so I ended up playing cabbie. And this horrible, house is about the same size as Gilda. Uh, I was a young man. Uh, and this horrible mask. And so I realised, and I was getting a bit hippie with it. But it was done on the cheap. $48 billion later. <laughs> but what a success it was. And I'm proud to be a part of it. And there was only going to be one movie called Star Wars. So they made enough money. Oh, well, we will do a series then. Don't let George say I wrote the whole saga.
0: Thank you. Quick question. You say you played three characters. It sounds like you, you didn't hit the jackpot for comfortable costumes. So which was the least uncomfortable of the three? The least uncomfortable was,
2: I suppose, the Gonk Joy was but I couldn't see where I was going you know George used to direct me I was bent over right Rusty, three steps forward one step back two steps right that's left, sorry George (laughs) (laughs) but a funny bit afterwards someone said to me in in a panel can you say the words you said running around the desert I said, pardon? Can you say what you said when you're running around the desert? I went, oh, really? I said, yeah. I went, OK. Ow, oh, shit, damn.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and they said, no, you teeny. I said, what the hell's that? Because <laughs> I hadn't seen the remastered DVD or, or VHS where they put all these bits in, where the jab of the heart was taken out from a man to be put into a slug, and also uh, the jab was going, you did, I didn't know that. I said, well, so I was
0: honest. And that's what happened. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Hello,
1: I'm Warwick Davis, and you're listening to Fanfare Tracks.
0: Ron, yourself, how did you first get involved in Star Wars?
1: How did I get involved with First get involved, yeah. I was working on Alien. I was working on the models of Alien, and all of a sudden we were told if it was going to be a load of rubbish, and we to, most of it was going to be moved on to Star Wars. I never heard of it. Anyway, I get there, and uh, eventually we see the stuff that was made on the original one. And my first job was to get rid of Keddy Baker. I was told that he he thinks he's the main star, and he's not. But he's on a big lot of money, and we want now. Automatic robots, R two D two. Yeah. So we set about making them, but Kenny was still used, obviously. Yeah. You know, and uh, and that was our main thing, you know. And the other ro- the other robots and bits and pieces came along afterwards. A very interesting film because uh, it was a lot of mechanics, and I brought a lot of people into the industry I knew as engineers and whatever. And we had electrics to do, uh, and then eventually we went on to do Yoda. And and that was made very very similar to what ET was. So it was the first time they used miniature electronics, which came out of originally were made for model aircraft, and we used them inside to make the eyes move and, and the ears move and all that. Because Yoda was going to be puppeteered, but there was lots of sets where they couldn't puppeteer it. It was he was sitting on branches or it was inside the spaceship or whatever. So there had to be a mechanical one made. So all these were very uh, intricate things. And it was, good. it was good fun. They were good fun, you know. Lucas always used to tell us we're wasting his money. He, he was a pain in the heart, I've got to say. Uh, I hope this gets back to him. But, <laughs> but other than that, it was, it was all good fun.
3: <laughs>
1: Not much more to say, really. And uh, then we went, we went, that was on Empire Strikes Back. Then we went on to the Revenge of the Jedi, you know. So it's the same, I took the same crew along, we worked on the robots, and took them along to the next film. Yeah. I did it, when I was in on the first one, no, the second one, I was in California, and we went all over America with them, and it wasn't called Star Wars, he was trying to hide it. It was called The Blue Harvest. And we went all over America as a disguised unit, really. And, uh, you know, George was very funny to work for. He used to, he used to watch us doing things and come up and say, what are you doing there? That's a load of rubbish, you know. And uh, one day he, he altered something I was doing. And I said, don't do that, George. We've already tried that. And uh, he was trying to pull the thong out of the backpack of the bounty hunter. Because in real life, you could never pull that great long thong out. So what it was, it was on a monofilament. And the monofilament was going to be pulled out with a a rocket. And the rocket fired into the air, then pulled the monofilament out and whatever. And George said, I don't want all that. I only want the small length of it. I said, well, what are you going to do? He wrapped it round the cord, round his fingers, the monofilament, and pulled it like hell. It cut into his fingers and off he went to see the nurse. (laughs) So he knotted it back together again and did it. And then next day, it was very good working on Star Wars 1 because they did very good story Yeah. And next day you got that and they ticked it off or put a comment whether it was good or redo it or whatever. And it said, excellent.
0: (laughs) That's the the result you want, isn't it? Did you find it interesting in the sense that he would give you, or, or the production or the job would give you, um, problems, technical problems to solve that you might not know the answer, but uh, you and your lads have got to work
1: I it mean, out. George was uh, Lucas. He really wasn't interested in the, in the special effects. To him, it was something that had to be done. but he was really not interested in how the things were made. That wasn't his. He was a writer. He, 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 he just wanted the end result. Yeah, he wasn't, a, you know, like we were, motorbike mechanics or pilots or something like that. He was never interested in that.
0: So where did you learn your skills? Where, where did your technical knowledge come from?
1: Uh, I originally um, was an and pattern maker. I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah. That's all died now. Yeah. Uh, then I worked for Gerry Anderson. Right. And, uh, and it sort of came from there, you know.
0: Because the British film industry back then... It was, there was a lot of word of mouth. He had a team of guys that...
1: Speak up, sorry,
0: there was a, a, a big team of guys that worked in, in models at that time. They all knew each other. Yeah, yeah. And was, moving on to the Star Wars production kind of elevated everybody, didn't it?
1: Yeah, uh, the, in them days, it was more of a hands-on. I mean, the last film I got involved with was Moon. I don't know if anyone's ever seen yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, David Bowie's boy had got this script and he was trying to get his money out of his father. And his father... His father said, oh, you can have three million. And he knew he'd have to have a, an event on the moon, which was these buggies going across all the moon. And he was going to get that siege-eyed. And, uh, and they said, oh, yes. And that was going to be the end of his budget. So he then... It, long story short, he, he went and approached people who used to do it the old-fashioned way, like Jerry Anderson did. Models, pull them across with, with monofilaments and things like that, and it was all done like that, they looked good. And the CGI people thought the job had been stolen off of them, because they were going to do something for the film, and they, and they, they thought, who's nicked all our work? And they couldn't believe it. They still don't believe it. They think it was CGI. It's done the old fashioned
0: way. That's a brilliant that's a brilliant tip of the hat to your work though, isn't it?
1: I I still work occasionally now and I still do small things. Like we've we've been doing hat eight so we've been doing a lot of it seems to be in a lot of things now in television and film, knives. It seems to be the culture now knives. The amount of blood knives I've made in the last couple of years is unbelievable, you know. I think the last one I did with this princess, she she grabs a knife and, and, and pulls it like that. Of course it's not it's not her blood, we see, it's the blood from the knife and all this sort of thing. So this sort of thing is still about. Because it's much easier to do it mechanically than you know, it is CGI. And you've got it and you'll have it. There was another one a little while ago a girl has an hour in you know, her. And she falls into the water, she falls into the water. And then they, they wanted the water to go red, you know, from the blood coming out. Well, I can CGI that, but it's quite difficult in water, you know. So it's still a room. It's still room for normal effects. Yeah. Well, she just reminded me something about well, another thing that George did. He, we had an R2-D2, and a friend of mine who's he's now, well, he's in a home now. He's, he's gone to Ali. <laughs> I think George must have sent him that way. Um, <laughs> In the Star Wars, when we got the storyboards, it showed you in the desert. All you saw was a desert, and then you saw the tumbleweed just rolling across the desert. And then, on the next storyboard page, was you saw a little bit of blue, like your blue watch there, that grey blue on top of the R2D2s, and then a little hatch opens and a, and a periscope comes up looks around comes down and then to authentically throws himself further in the sand that was on the storyboards okay it does work yeah <laughs> and uh, this was all set up in the desert and this got it all there it's all ready a control And we had a big platform built, like this. And the R2-D2 had it, and a hole cut out just for his head. And it was all covered with sand. And it all set up, and we've got all the cameras there and everything. Got the the, the, the periscope coming up, all working perfectly. A wind machine to blow the sand off, so we just revealed the top. George came along and said, I don't need any of that. I don't know what that's for. Get me a hacksaw. Bring that thing up. He then cut it off with a hacksaw, taped it to a piece of stick like a broom handle, and tried to push it through the sand. I understand what he was trying to get at because he didn't want anyone to realise that that periscope was actually on an R two D two. But the whole in the end, in the end, he just scrubbed it and it was done CGI, you know. But he was like that. He he wouldn't explain to you what he really wanted, but he was. He, he, he lost his temper. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to go and get the tray.
0: No problem. Can we just give a big hand for Rusty?
1: You have that one.
3: Safe journey. Bye bye.
1: I'm Anthony Daniels, and you are listening
0: to Fanfare Tracks. Well
3: done.
1: There you You're go. probably going to sue me for this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which one am I playing with? You on, you hand that one back. There you go. So, Pam, you've done well here. We've got seven minutes. You can tell us your Star Wars story Good in seven night. minutes.
3: Thank you for coming. You
0: <laughs> so, how did you first get involved? I mean, your, your character was visually very unusual. memorable. Un- unusual, yeah. So, so, how did that all come about? Because that must be quite a challenge.
3: Well, I'd been in the film business for quite a long time. Yeah. So, our agent sent us down why they picked me, whether they liked my legs or my face, because... Most of the people had masks and heads and things like that. So at least it was my face. And the makeup was three hours a day. But having the original head cast was like being buried alive. Because all you have is two little rubber blowholes to breathe through. And we're all lazy and breathe through our mouth anyway. And the girl who was, you know, the Freeborn family. Yep, yep. Kay, I had a hold of her hand, and I think I nearly broke it. (laughs) I was, you know, but they were beautiful people, and two hours in the morning, one hour at night, when I got on set, all the characters were dressed or whatever, so half of them, I never knew who it was. Doing the conventions...
0: That's how you've learned. ...you
3: who was who now, and... (laughs) You know, this has been a a bonus for me since two thousand and six doing the shows. Yeah, because the last job I did full time was a casino. Yeah, shift work. Basically, never saw films and things. Yeah, and retired, joined the agency, and she phoned me up and she said, "I've got fan mail for you." I won't say what I said, but I said, oh dear, have you? (laughs) And she said, there's all these geeks looking for you. (laughs) Nice. And then the first show I did was the Showmasters in Milton Keynes. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of rollerballed since then. And I'm 72 next month. And what a great thing it's been for most of us. Yeah. To travel around. And I'm going to Nashville in September. Yeah. So it's... Fantastic.
0: For what was just a few days' work then, obviously you couldn't... Well, who would? Nobody would imagine you'd still be even talking about it 40 years later.
3: Well, it was only five days. But the thing is, like with people seeing the film, you had Tadissia outside, yeah. you had Inside in Elstree, the band was put on in America, so you didn't really have much concept yeah. of what you were working on. You know, most of us were just glad to have a day's work and... Go on to the next thing. That's a
0: really good point. A lot of Rusty said, you know, the only people that really got it was Gary Kurtz and, and George Lucas. So. Well,
3: they're the only ones that knew the story, yeah. All the storyboard, or the script, or you know, if you were an extra, you never saw the scripts anyway. No, you just got a call sheet every night, ready for the next day. What yeah. time you were called? What time makeup and etc. Yeah. So you know, it was. Well, it's been wonderful. Now I can't say I've seen many films. <laughs>
0: That's okay, we'll let you off. So what did you think when you saw yourself in the makeup then when you first saw that amazing head?
3: Money.
1: <laughs>
3: I did five days filming yeah. and I got two days overtime just for makeup. So in those days I didn't want to be an actress or anything, I just wanted to do anything. I did standing in, yep. I did doubling, I did a few little stunt bits. Yep. Did we? And I've known him since 1968. Wow. And, of course, I did Space 1999. Of course, yeah. I did Star Maidens. So I was quite used to being out of this world type thing. Yeah, yeah. And that was before Star Wars anyway. So it's been great. It's
0: been good. Yes. You were going to say something, Ron?
1: I was just going to say something. I've got to say that the Star Wars films are some of the best-run films I ever worked on. The way they did their storyboards and things was a good really good professional uh, very professional I've not seen that since then um, nowadays they hardly ever do anything they tell you nothing you know basically and, but I did when they, start, when they started to do the latest Star Wars films I think it was Pamela told me about there was a club that made the R2-D2s and they've been approached to put their uh, R2-D2s on the set well I went to see them well, I'd already seen these R2-D2s before and some were beautiful, some were mediocre and what can you say, they were all made. But there wasn't one that was identical to another one. And I thought to him, I can't see how you can use them. Because when we were filming, we had a very first man who was the first assistant, David Tomlin, and he wouldn't stand any nonsense. If you, if you held them up for two minutes, you, you was on the call sheet the next day and that was it, that was a bollocking. And we always had three of them two which were there ready to go and if one went st- one out of power or had an accident another one would take over and they were identical and very often there was three because sometimes you couldn't get the shot all in one go or one operator so, that, so sometimes there was always two cameras or whatever so one would go out of shot and another one would sneak in from, from behind a pillar or somewhere and take over so it was very complex and, uh, and I can't see how they did that latest bunch of films with a bunch of R2-D2s that were beautifully made but didn't match and I think when you see that original one like the, the first one of this bunch, whatever it's called now, you'll very rarely see that R2-D2 and I think that's possibly the reason when, when, when we, we had when we were doing that, doing these robots <laughs> each time they went on the set they were given a number. They had to do different jobs. And you could never get one R2D to it. do all these jobs. So when it come back to the set, come from the set, the engineers then changed it, and it was given another number so, to whatever the storyboard was. And it went out and did the job and then come back again. I left ten of them in California when we finished the film. About a month later, George found some paperwork and realised the last one was number 43 he wanted to know where the other 30 were he still thinks I've got them somewhere
0: I
3: wish
0: I had so we're near the end of our panel if you had to think of one amazing moment either from the making of the film or from the time we have been doing conventions what one what, what moment would we say oh that, was, that, that made everything just perfectly worthwhile
3: That's a hard one, isn't it?
0: It is. (laughs)
3: Um, I suppose meeting the people, and especially disabled people and kids, just to make their experience coming to meet us and actually spend a little time, because a lot of the big stars are not, you know... Yeah, yeah. I spoke to somebody upstairs. They queued, paid a lot of money and she went and stood next to the actor go, next and they've come from abroad yeah. I've met them in Austria Yeah. and it's disappointing when you pay a lot of money and you travel and people can't be bothered to spend 10 seconds with you
0: so you like the chance to talk to folks yes. and...
3: good at that aren't I <laughs>
0: and Ron what, what, what one moment would you say stands out most for you in your Star Wars experience from either working on the films or, or anything else?
1: I don't, know, I don't know, really. I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs>
0: there was
1: always moments and everything,
0: you know. Uh, I don't know. Did you have a good crack with the other lads, the guys that you were working with? You had good fun?
1: Well, most of them gone now. I mean, I've got to be honest, most of them have disappeared, you know. I mean... Yeah, we, we did have cracks on there, you know. I think uh, the film industry was... Film industry was more friendly to it. Everyone, you could go and have a drink with the main artist. Very often, Mark Hamill used to come with us. And uh, Ke- Ke- uh, Kenny yeah. used to come gliding with me. We used to sit him in a glider and take him flying, all these things. It was much more of a social thing. Yeah. Ago. Although you did work hard. And as I say, someone like David Tomlin, he, wouldn't, uh, Tomlin, he would not take any, any nonsense whatsoever. Absolutely. You know,
3: I hear from the agent that some people don't even bother to turn up for work now. But it annoys me because there's people sitting at home would love a day's work. Yeah. And they just can't be bothered. And it really annoys me. Plus, we used to get paid on the day. Yes. Now you have to wait months for the money and you've got to pay commission and other... We didn't have to pay commission or anything in those days.
0: Well, we're glad you guys turned up and we're glad you turned up today so Pam Ron everybody round of applause please thank you very much
3: thank you thank you thank you
0: that's all for this special episode of Making Tracks you can find us on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Android Spotify SoundCloud TuneIn iHeartRadio and Spreaker if you want to find Fantatracks out there in the wild you can find us on smart speakers such as Amazon Alexa Apple HomePod Google Home and Sonos we're also available in your car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto on gaming consoles and television you can find us on Fantatracks TV On YouTube or the Fantatracks app, and of course, you can drop onto the dedicated landing page for Fantatracks Radio on Fantatracks.com. We'll be back very soon, but for now, please guys.